This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Are we being an example so that outside the people start saying, man, there is something different about them? It ought to be that way. Everything that we do in our families, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, everything, we ought to live our lives as an example to the world around us that we are the redeemed. And if we're not living like the redeemed, then the question is, is are we really and truly the redeemed? As believers, we need to understand that we weren't saved only for our own benefit. We were saved to serve. But serving takes faith. It takes trust. It means that we're willing to step out and proclaim the truth of the gospel regardless of what others think. But sadly, a lot of believers shy away from doing so. The reason for that is often due to the fact that they're embarrassed or ashamed to share with others. They aren't willing to put themselves out there because they fear man more than God. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans chapter 1 verse 8 for our study entitled Unashamed. We are actually in the book of Romans. We're continuing on in our discovery of the gold mine that is the book of Romans. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 17, unashamed. See and realize that for the Christian church, not only at Rome, but Christian church many places within that early first century, they were unashamed of the gospel and it was shown in so many different ways, in such a powerful way in so many cases. We're going to look uh, first in uh, verses 8 through 10 and uh, let me read those for you and then we'll take a look at what they speak to us. In verse 8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He could have said y'all, but I'm not sure if he was from southern Israel or not, but uh, he said for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. For making request, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul tells us there at the first portion there in verse 8, that throughout the whole world that that church was known. When he speaks of throughout the whole world, he in essence is speaking of the, the Roman Empire. That For the most part, that was the whole world to them at that point in time. That's what Paul knew about and the word of the church in Rome was making its way around that known world. And you might think, well, how in the world did the message go, or what were they doing that they were known so well throughout the world? Do you think it was the programs that they had? Maybe they were such a happening church that they had youth programs and adult programs, men's programs, women's programs. They had programs to feed the poor. They had programs to to clothe those that were needful. They had programs to be able to help the society. Well, those aren't bad things. As a matter of fact, many times those are good things and profitable things, even for the kingdom of God. But that's not what that church was known for. It wasn't for the programs. Well, perhaps it was for the buildings that they had. Perhaps they had huge and beautiful buildings that drew the attention of everyone. 
you've probably heard of Notre Dame, and I'm not talking about the university and the fighting Irish. I'm talking about Notre Dame, the cathedral that's over in Paris, the beautiful, magnificent building that, that took them over 200 years to build. And yet, what do we know about Notre Dame? Well, the uh, first thing that comes to my mind is the hunchback of Notre Dame. I don't think that it was buildings. Well, maybe it was celebrities. Maybe they were able to get, uh, you know, famous uh, football players to come in. And, and, well, it wouldn't be football players. I guess it would be gladiators that would come in and speak at their church and, and talk about how Jesus had changed their lives. Or maybe it was uh, the politicians. Maybe somebody out of Caesar's household would come and share what the Lord is doing and how he's sweeping through. And, you know, there's a lot of churches today that build their whole programs on celebrities coming and drawing crowds. But I don't think that that's what Rome was known for. As a matter of fact, we know what Rome was known for. Paul brings it out very clearly. It was their faith. The faith of the people at the church of Rome was known throughout the whole world. Now, that's pretty impressive, that their faith was known throughout the world. Now, how does your faith get known throughout the whole world? Well, maybe it's a big news splash. Maybe on the Jerusalem Times or something, they had a big news. Hey, great faith is finally found in Rome over there in the in the very center of Satan's stronghold there. Maybe they had a, a news flash that come on the uh, 10 o'clock in the evening news as they would shout it from the tower. No, it's not that way either. whole different culture than where we're at right now. And yet their faith was known throughout the whole world. How does that happen? How does it get from a church in one location? It's not their programs. It's not their buildings. It's not the celebrity. It's their faith that's known throughout the whole world. I think we can gain a hint of it, actually, in the book of First Thessalonians. Now, First Thessalonians, totally a different location, a different church, but it's the same time frame and it's the same heart of the people that we're going to look, even as we look at the church in Rome. If you have your Bibles and you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to look at a couple of verses there that I think are going to give us a little bit of a hint of how the faith of the church of Rome was known throughout the whole world. Beginning in verse 6, we read, as Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, he says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. How is your faith known throughout the world? Well, even here it says that man, it's become known in every place. I believe Paul is bringing out about the faith of those that were in Thessalonica. First of all, they were faithful even in tribulation. He says right at the beginning there in verse 6, he says, You received the word of the Lord in much affliction. Right in the midst of, the tri of a tribulation time, not the great tribulation, but for many of them, when they came to Christ, 
There was great tribulation that came upon their lives because of their commitment to Christ. And they weren't afraid of that tribulation. They knew that the message and the reality of Jesus Christ in their life was going to be far surpassed any kind of tribulation or trial that they would come upon by naming the name of Christ. They didn't fear what others would say about them because they named the name of Christ. They didn't fear what kind of retribution would come upon them from society because they named the name of Christ. They took it even in the midst of much tribulation, and I love what he says there, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They even joyed in the midst of the tribulation time for them. Can you imagine having joy in the midst of tribulation, in the time of trials? Yes. Because that's what we're supposed to do, even in the midst of those things. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says a little bit later. And again, I say rejoice. The word tells us that, man, even in the midst of all of these trials, we're supposed to have joy. Count it all joy. That the disciples during that time even were blessed, and they counted it joy that they were worthy to receive any kind of persecution because of their stand for Christ. The church at Thessalonica received the word of God even in the midst of tribulation and afflictions. One of the other things that we see is that they lived exemplary lives. And he says in verse 7 that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. Exemplary lives. They became examples. In other words, people could look at them and they say, you know what? They live their life different than the rest of us. They do things in a totally different way than the rest of us. Their choices of entertainment, their choices of, again, direction and purpose and plan in life, their attitudes are different. Their heart is different. They treat people different. And so they became examples to the world that's around them. How about us today? Are we that kind of a way? Are we examples to the world around us? Or does the world look at us and say, eh, pretty much the same as everybody else, except they're usually busy on Sunday morning, usually. Does the world really see that there is a difference that is built in within you and I because we've come to Christ? The question is, is how does the world know that there's faith in Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, in the people who attend here? Is it because there is a difference? When we go to the restaurant, do we treat our waiter and waitresses different than the rest of the world, even when we get terrible service? When we're dealing with people out in the world at the workplace, co-workers with us, our employers or employees, do we treat them different than the rest of the world? Are our jobs done with a more tenacity and commitment than anyone else because of Christ? Are we being an example so that outside the people start saying, man, there is something different about them? It ought to be that way. Everything that we do in our families, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, everything. We ought to live our lives as an example to the world around us that we are the redeemed. And if we're not living like the redeemed, then the question is, is are we really and truly the redeemed? Next, we see that they testified openly of their faith. In verse 8, he says, For from you... The word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. They sounded out their faith. 
they proclaimed the reality of Jesus Christ. How and where they did that, we don't know, but I do know this, that they were verbal about it. They had to be verbal about it. There was no such thing at that point in time as a stealth Christian, as an underground believer, as a silent witness. As a matter of fact, I dare say if we were to come to them today and suddenly be transferred back 2,000 years ago, and they start speaking to us about our faith, and we say, well, no, I've, I've never shared with anyone my faith. I'm just kind of a silent witness for Christ. And they would point to those that are in prison because of the testimony of Christ. They'd speak of those who are thrown into the Colosseum and fed to wild animals because of their testimony for Christ. They would speak to those who are literally cut in half with sword because of their testimony for Christ. And we dare say that, no, I'm a silent witness for Christ. How is our faith known? Is by speaking of the things of God and proclaiming the reality of Christ in our life. And if we're not willing to do that, then the question is, is is there really that faith in our life? And where is the boldness of Christ in our life? They testified openly. One of the other things that we see very plainly, they turned from sin. There was true repentance in their lives. It says there in verse 9, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you had turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. They turned from the idols. They were right in the midst. That whole culture there was so surrounded by so many idols of every sort and type imaginable. You think, well, man, praise God, we don't live in those times anymore. Oh, we don't? We've got just as many idols. They're just not statues and and carvings that are idols. No, many times they come in a lot of other different ways. Everything from our own fame and fortune to our own pleasures and desires. Idols beyond number that we could speak about this morning. And he says, you guys turned from your idols to serve the living and true God. There was an actual and real repentance in their lives. And unfortunately today, too many times the gospel message comes out and it proclaims that, you know, God just loves you and wants to give you just a a full and meaningful life. And if you'll just receive Christ, everything's going to be fine. Rather than declaring the truth that, no, man, you are in sin. And until you turn from your sin and cry out to God, you are destined for an eternity in hell. That is the reality of the gospel message. And we'll speak about that in a minute. But for them, they knew what it meant. I could either follow the way of the world, which is following all the idol and my own selfish pleasure, or I could turn and I could follow the true and living God in my life. And for them, the reality of that change was apparent, not only there in Macedonia and Achaia, but all throughout that area. Fifthly, It says that there was an anticipated return of Jesus Christ. They lived with anticipation. They expected the Lord to come back at any moment, at any time. You know what? That kind of excitement would put all of us literally on our toes and on our best behavior. If I had that vision that says, you know what, today at 4 o'clock this afternoon, the Lord Jesus is coming back. I've got that special revelation. First of all, you could call me nuts and says, no, no man knows the hour and the time, but just go with the flow here for a moment, if you would. Do you think that the next 
four or five hours of your life would be different if you knew for certain that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming back at any moment today? For most of us, we know it would be. Suddenly, some things that we think are kind of important now would take much lesser importance in our lives. Suddenly, other things would gain greater importance. They lived with that kind of anticipation. There was that kind of fire within their life that says, man, the Lord is coming back at any moment. He says there that you've turned from the idols, you serve the living and true God, and you wait for the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Basically, I think you could say that overall the church in Thessalonica was unashamed of the gospel. They were unashamed of what God had done in their life. They were unashamed of the choices that they had made. They were unashamed to proclaim verbally of the truth of their faith. And unfortunately, many believers today, in the comfort and the ease and the freedom that we have to proclaim Christ have never, ever shared their faith with anyone. In that culture, sharing your faith could put you in prison. In our culture today, somebody might even laugh at you. Somebody might even really, I mean, they might get really dirty and nasty and call you a fanatic. In that culture, they took their lives. In that culture, they imprisoned them. And you know what's scary? I think we're getting that close to being in that culture once again. Should the Lord tarry, it's going to be harder and harder. But you know, right now, we have relative freedom to be able to speak of the hope that's within you. Being ready both in season and out of season to give reason for the hope that's within you. Unashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, let's go back to Romans Chapter 1 still. Verses 11 through 15. Paul writes to him, he says, For I, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as also the other Gentiles. For I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul had a great desire to see them in Rome. He had never been to Rome. Remember, he's writing this while he's in Corinth. And though he may have known some of the people personally, he had never been to that church in Rome. And he had this great desire to be able to go there and to be with them. But it was much more than just kind of hanging out with the guys and fellowshipping with them over a cup of coffee. There's some particular things that he speaks here. He says, first of all, I, I want to come to you in order that I might impart to you some spiritual gift. You think, well, what does he mean by a spiritual gift? Well, I believe that what Paul is speaking of is, man, I just want to come and bless you by being there to be able to open up more clearly to you the Word of God. And what a gift that is. What a blessing that is to be able to understand more clearly, more completely, the Word of God. And that's the other thing, the point that he has, to be encouraged himself 
not only to encourage them in the word, but Paul also knew that by him going to them, that he would be encouraged himself. And how is that so? Any of you who have ever taught a Bible study, you've been a teacher, you know how encouraged you are when you open up the word and suddenly you see people get it. Suddenly, man, the the light comes on and, and how encouraging that is for you and I believe that that's what Paul is saying, man. I, too, want to be encouraged by coming and being with you and just sharing that time. And what a blessing it is to be able to open up the Word, and all of a sudden you see literally the light coming on in people's minds. That's what that is. Now I get it. And I believe that that's an encouragement for Paul. This isn't going to be a battle. Paul isn't going into the lion's den here when he's fellowshipping with his church. No, this is a sweetness, a time of just opening up the word together. But there's a third thing, too, that he speaks. And he says, I want to come there in verse 13, that I might have some fruit among you also. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul wants to go to Rome and, and have a bowl of Aunt Susie's fruit salad. That's not what he's speaking about. He says, I want to bear fruit. And the fruit that we know that he's speaking of is spiritual fruit. Fruit that, again, we see the growth of Christ in people's lives. That suddenly... Again, the word taking root and growing and prospering and bearing that spiritual fruit that lives become changed because of the power of God's word. Paul says in verse 14 and 15, he says, I'm a debtor. I think, well, who would Paul be a debtor to? Well, real quickly, you could think that, well, Paul ought to be a debtor, you would imagine, to the Jews and to the, the teachings that he'd grown up from as a child, the implanting of the Word of God in his life and the the promises of the Scripture and the prophetic messages. And yet, he says peculiarly here, he says, I'm a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians. To the Greeks and the barbarians. How in the world could Paul be a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians? Well, there's a couple of things you need to understand. In the Jewish culture, there were two kinds of people. There were the Jews, and then there was everybody else. The Gentiles. There was only two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. Well, for the Greek culture, it was kind of the same way. There were the Greeks and the Romans that were kind of intermixed at that point in time. And then there were the barbarians. Everybody else was barbarian. You were either of a Greek culture or you are barbarians. And anyone who did not speak Greek at that time, they considered barbarians. Anyone who did not have the language and the culture of the Greeks, they were barbarians. Paul says not only the Greeks and the barbarians, but also the wise and the unwise that he's a debtor to. Why would he be a debtor to these kinds of people? I believe because Paul understood and knew that even though he was a Jew... He was one who had been saved miraculously by the power of God in such a dynamic way. And he knew that he was totally unworthy. In his writings, Paul says, man, I am chief of all sinners. Paul understood that, man, he had the message of Christ and he owed it to those around him to share that message. I'm a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise, to be able to share Paul was the kind of guy that he could go to Mars Hill there in Athens and debate with the philosophers of his time the things of Christ. 
And at the same time, he could be at the very pit of a jail and speak with prisoners about the reality and the truths of Christ. Paul was a man who could go to a small little stream bed in in the town of Philippi and talk to a bunch of women who were gathered there together and open up to them the reality of the truth of Jesus Christ. Or he could stand in a synagogue and he could proclaim the reality of the message of the Jewish Messiah being Jesus. Every culture, every direction, no matter the wise, the unwise, the Greek, the barbarian, the Jew, the Gentile, basically you could say that in Paul's life there were absolutely no barriers found in the gospel, that he could speak to anyone at any time about the gospel. And yet for you and I, for our Christian culture today, so many times we even put limits on saying, you know what, this person would never receive. Either this person is so high and out of it, or they're so low and out of it. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Romans next time. It's been said that if a believer were to drop their Bible on the ground, it should fall open to the book of Romans. Why, you might ask? Because this book is packed full of doctrine that we truly need to grasp as believers in Jesus. Or maybe you're listening today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet. We encourage you to continue tuning in Monday through Friday as Pastor David shares insights from this book. Pastor David will be teaching through this book with hopes that all those tuning in each day here on The Open Word would either be saved or be encouraged in their salvation. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to the Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend or to follow the Open Word Twitter feed or to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the Book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word.